Well, good morning. Yeah, it's, uh, you don't know how many clocks you have in your house till time change, right? <laughs> then you're like wandering all over trying to figure out which time it really is because you've changed half of them and yeah. So it's great to have you here this morning. We are, uh, we're starting a new series today. You know, we finished a series just last week. It was called Authentic Community. And we were walking through 1 John and all we were learning was, well, God, what would you have us to know about what it means to relate to you? And then how that impacts how we relate to others. Help us to have that community that starts first vertically and then spills horizontally. And you know, I thought coming off of authentic community, a great next step would be to go back and look in Revelation and walk through those seven letters to the seven churches and just see what he had to say to those churches. How were they doing with authentic community? How were they doing in running hard after Jesus Christ? And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the seven letters um, in Revelation, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So turn with me, if you will, there, Revelation 2 and 3. We've got the ushers coming forward, and they've got some Bibles in their hand. If you need a Bible, just uh, raise your hand, and they'll get one to you, okay? Just raise your hand, and they'll get a Bible to you. Revelation 2 and 3. Now, we named this series, Listen Up. Where did we come up with that from? At the end of each letter... We see um, through Jesus Christ the statement, let he who has an ear hear. You hear it? Let he who has an ear hear. Like, listen up, right? The Spirit is speaking to the churches, and here's what he has to say. So our challenge is to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking in this letter of the challenges, the things that are going well, the things that are going poorly, what needs to be adjusted, and Lord, may we learn from it. All right? Listen up. That's what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. Uh, there are seven letters. We're going to be doing two of them next week because they're kind of short. All right? So we're having a challenge to truly listen up. Um, quick background here as we go into this. There are seven letters. They are to real churches. They were in Asia Minor. Okay, these real churches really existed and they really had these problems. All right. But it's not just some historical event captured. You and I can learn what God has to say to us through these letters as we apply them to today. In fact, some have even said, for sure, we know that we all go through what they're going through. For sure that. And maybe even the letters have to do with what the church was progressing through over time. But certainly we see seven real churches with real struggles, and then they also apply to us today. So we're looking at those letters from John written before 100 AD, so quite a while ago, and yet very practical and applicable to today. You know, um, there are going to be four elements we're going to break this down in, and I'm going to try to be consistent in breaking them down every week into the same four elements, all right? So the four elements are going to be uh, Christ's character, first of all. Christ's character. Each letter starts out with an amazing statement about Jesus Christ. Five of them actually reflect back on something in chapter one and saying, this is how awesome our Jesus Christ is. And there's something to be celebrating in him. Okay. So Christ's character, that's going to be one piece. And then there's going to be uh, commendation like, Hey, good job. Here's some things going well. Some of them don't even get that. They don't even have the commendation piece. But commendation, we're going to be looking through that. What's going well? And then criticism. Hey, here's some things that I have against you. Here's some things you need to be doing better at. And remember, these are the words of Jesus Christ. They're in red, so they must be, right? These are the words of Jesus Christ spoken to the church through the Holy Spirit. 
the criticism, right? These are the things that need to be changed. And then the closure. What's that final challenge or counsel to them based on what's going on in that letter? All right. So those are the four pieces we're going to break it down to. So we have a challenge, the challenge to learn and to grow. So I have a question for you and I'm looking for an answer publicly, verbally. All right. I'm I'm setting you up. I know you've got an extra hour of sleep and it's easy to get a little tired. So I'm setting you up. I'm looking for a big verbal answer. Are you ready to listen up? All right. It's time for us to see what he has to say in Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, as he writes to the church at Ephesus. Lord, what do you have for us? Here we go. All right. First point, Christ's character. Worship Jesus as the king who works among us. Worship Jesus as the king who works among us. We start right there in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. To the angel... All right, this word in the original language, it's uh, angelos. Do you hear the angel in that? Okay, angelos. And so the word means messenger. That's what it literally means. It could mean spiritual messenger, you know, like the angel that we would picture with wings who somehow comes between God and man with messages, right? It could also mean physical messenger, like a human being who has something to say or share. It's just a word that means somebody with something to share, Messenger, all right? So we'll have to figure out if it means physical messenger or spiritual messenger. I personally believe it means physical person. Why? Well, because he felt that he needed to tell him through the written word of God. He didn't just tell him, which is how God works with angels, but he decided to tell him in this written word to the angel at the church of Ephesus. So I think it's really to that messenger, the human being who's watching over the church in Ephesus. Well, what's the human being, the single human being bringing the message to a church? It's the pastor. Like to the pastor over the church at Ephesus, here's the challenge. Kind of gets a little more personal for me. So the church in Ephesus, what is this Ephesus? Well, first of all, it was a major trade city, probably about 200, 250, maybe 300,000 people, fairly large, steeped in black magic, steeped in idolatry. That's what was going on before Christ was unleashed in the place, okay? And you see it in Acts chapters 18 through 20. If you want to write that down and read it on the side this week, Acts 18 through 20, there's a great story unfolds of the church at Ephesus and the black magic and what's going on in the response as Christ is introduced to them. The church at Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Okay, he holds the seven stars in his hand, his right hand, that hand he would use for judgment. He, this person we're going to define in just a second, holding the stars, walking amongst the seven golden lampstands. Where do those metaphors come from? Let's start back in chapter one, verse 12. I'm just going to read real quickly here. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, Jesus Christ. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, indicating wisdom. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That's the phrasing that this, this letter is actually attaching to. Okay, he's going back to the first chapter that he's just shared. And he's like, I'm just telling you. The guy I was just talking about who's walking amongst the seven golden lampstands, who's holding the seven stars in his hand, that's the guy that I'm talking about, Jesus Christ. All right, so what do the stars in the lampstands represent? I want to tell you, I got a special insight from God this week. Like, God spoke to me in a special revelation this week to tell me what the stars and the lampstands were. Read verse 20. All right. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we have the messengers or pastors over them and we have the churches over them. God speaks in his word. Amen. Sometimes it's amazing how simple and clear it can be if we just let his word speak to us. All right. So that's what we have going on. We have these messengers and we have these churches and we have Jesus Christ moving amongst them, having responsibility and authority over them, empowering them, discerning with them, holding them personally responsible for them. Our God worthy of great worship, our mighty King. He holds, he empowers, he discerns. That's who he introduces us to. As he starts the first letter, it's like, I want you to understand the great authority in our God. Here's what's not to be understood. So the stars and the lampstands and the letters and the, that's all great. But the first things first, our God is amazing. Our God is over everything. And these churches, oh, they get who he is. He's holding their leader in his very hand. He's moving amongst them. He's taking them right where they need to be. Our God is moving in this place. That's our king. Amen? Like, make sure we grasp the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. So question for you. How are you doing at living your life Saying, Lord, I'm in your hand. Walk amongst me and what I'm doing. You tell me what needs to change. You tell me where I need to go. It's all about you and your glory. You've got my attention. How are you doing with that? It's kind of easy to get distracted, isn't it? So what needs to go? Lord, I need to set something aside this week. I want you To be right in my life. And I want to experience you leading me and guiding me. What needs to step away? What are you set inside? Got it? Okay. And now, Lord, I'm bringing you in. I want to worship you with all I've got. That's our first step. Before he even starts the letter to Ephesus, it's a big challenge. Get ready to worship your king. All right. So that's first Christ's character, worshiping him with all we've got. Number two, the commendation commendation. This is what it is for the church at Ephesus. Work hard. This is your commendation. You work hard, passionately, 
with high endurance all for his glory. You work hard and passionately with high endurance and it's all for his glory. It's an awesome commendation. Notice he says here in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. All right, let's break it down. I know. This word in the original language is not the word that would usually be used for no. It's not knowledge that is ever increasing. It's not I'm beginning. It's not I'm learning. I'm grasping more of you. That kind of no. It's not no like I didn't know this yesterday, but now I know it today. It's not that kind of no. It's a different word for no in the original language, and it means this. I have the complete package of information. It's in me. It's been about me, and I've had it from the beginning of time. Oh, I know. I know all about you. So that's what he's saying. There's not a learning as I watch you. I've known from the beginning of time, right? Ephesians 1. I'm seeing where you're headed before you ever headed there. I know. I know your works. You know, those efforts, those kingdom values that you went after, those deeds that you've been about that truly have been the things that Christ would be about. Like I see the things you're going after and your efforts are good. Your works, your toil, your sold out effort. Toil is like there is a major work going on. It's not just ah, once a month, whether I need to or not, I put 20 minutes in for Jesus. You know, it's not that. It's I see what needs to be done and I'm going after it. The work has my attention. I'm putting effort into it. Toil, major labor, if you want to put it that way. Patient endurance. How many of us want to just move on now? Right? Like, oh, don't talk about that patience thing. Like patient endurance. Like when you're working with ding-dongs, <laughs> you're going to be okay with slowing down and, and making sure they get it. And Right? Like patient endurance. When they're not really moving at your pace and when they're not really getting it the way you want them to get it. And hang on. God's working. Patient endurance. Constantly moving forward, seeing what's ahead, knowing that God has a plan. It's not on your time. Your time is not the time. It's on his time. Wow. They had that going on. So they've got works and toil and patient endurance. And then it says, and this is what I love about you. You cannot bear with those who are evil. See, patient endurance doesn't mean putting up with a ton of sin going on. Uh, What it doesn't mean is the place is a train wreck and everybody's acting however they want. I'm so patient. I just let them keep doing whatever. Like that's not what it's talking about. Okay. Very different passage for that. We're talking Galatians 6, challenging them with gentleness, love, but challenging. Matthew 18, stepping alongside of a brother in sin. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about on the efforts of day to day, you do great in bringing things towards the kingdom. And on those things that aren't going towards the kingdom, you do great, man. Like you cannot bear it. There's something in you that just gets the creeps when people are sharing things they shouldn't be sharing when, well, he defines it right here, when they claim to be prophets, but they aren't. They call themselves apostles, yeah, and they're not. 
You found them to be false. How did they find him to be false? Well, by comparing what they say to what God said, by comparing what they do to what God's about. Okay, so let's go back. By comparing what they say to what God said. Like, you just said this is true. God said that's not true. Direct contradiction. Well, that's the easiest one, right? Your, your complete heresy. It's just not true. Sit down. Right? That, that's what's going on with that guy. Okay, but there can be a little more subtle ones. Like, they're sharing the truth with you, but it seems to always be the bad truth. You know what I'm saying? It's like the hellfire and brimstone challenge. Always. There's nothing but bad spoken of with this guy. All he does is speak of God's judgment and God's wrath and God's anger and God's, and all you get is the bad view. And you kind of feel like you have a knife in your back. You know what I mean? Just so you know, the worst motivation in the world is a knife in the back. It'll last for a second in time. The best motivation in the world is the opportunity out ahead of you. Okay? And so scripture is full of both sides. There's also the good in who God is and the opportunity in what he's got and the power in what he's going to be working in your life and an amazing privilege for Jesus Christ to be honored and glorified. So you got to keep the balance. Well, maybe you go to the other side. You only preach the good, you know, like God's got a plan for you. And he just wants you to have the best. And you talk things through in a way where you're so satisfied. And and that's true. But we never ever get to the discussion of what needs to be let go of. That there is sin that can destroy. And that God is serious about it. Keep the message in balance. These wrong apostles, they were either completely heretical. Or they were only good. Or only bad talkers. You know what I'm saying? Compare the works and the talk and see what you see and use the word of God as your measuring stick. Watch out. Make sure that they're from the Lord. There's absolutely nothing wrong with every single week. You making sure that the word is saying what I'm saying it says. Do it. Right? The Berean church. Be about it. Make sure that you're seeing it right there as we're walking through. And it makes sense to you as we're walking through. God's word must be lifted up as the measuring stick. Amen? Amen. All right. They could not bear it when God's word was not the measuring stick. And people came with their own message. Notice he says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Truly, you are are about Jesus Christ. In the end, you want him glorified. And you have not grown weary. You're tireless for my name. Like, that's your passion. You're hungry to see that shown off. Tireless. It's an awesome description of a group of people who grasp where they need to be headed. And they go that direction. All right? They know where they're supposed to be going with the works that are going to be good for the kingdom value. Okay. So. I just want to tell you. We got a lot of that going on around here. We got some phenomenal workers for Jesus Christ. I mean when you have hundreds of people. On your volunteer teams. Good things are going down. When you have people who are willing to sacrifice nights or weekends when things go wrong. I mean this past week we had uh, our server go down at the church. Uh, that can be a bad thing when you're talking about databases and finances and friendship registers and and poof, the whole thing's down, right? 
So we had a group of guys. We had four guys who were part of this, and there's actually a little broader team overall that's talking it through for IT for the building. But these guys came in and just gave it their all. And I'm telling you, on Tuesday at noon, we're dead in the water. And by Thursday morning, we're up and running with a borrowed server and the image of the hard drive stamped over, and everything's running smooth. In fact, faster. Now we're going to be jealous if we ever have to go back to that server, right? Like, it's been great to have this thing put in, and these guys are working hard to put the hours in. And we, I mean, it was a late night on Tuesday night. I came over to the office and met with them, and we're sitting there talking at 9 and 10 at night, and it just brought back memories of I'm sitting there with a bunch of techie guys talking about what to do with computers, at, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and something's broken, and it gave me the willies a little bit too, but so it was nice to know it's their problem now. I'm taking off, and but I'm telling you, these guys had it covered, and, and it's a big deal. To know that you got people in your body that are ready to go to the mat for the church, for the kingdom. It might be a workspace thing, but it's a necessary thing. And it was absolutely essential that these guys did it. I mean, what about our setup team? Six in the morning. Every week. This doesn't just magically appear. We got guys putting this stuff together and they're a part of a team and some of it starts at six with the tech and some of it starts at seven or seven thirty with the kids stuff and it's awesome to watch the teams come together and just sell themselves out saying, Jesus Christ, that's what we're here for. To Christ and his kingdom. You know, I love that the church at Ephesus got it. I love that as we preach through this commendation, we can say, for the most part, our church gets this. So my simple challenge to you is, now let's bring it to the individual. How about you? How are you doing with effort for him? How are you doing with that, Lord, where do you want me to work for you that you might be glorified? I mean, maybe there's a spot you can be plugging in. Maybe IT is your thing. Man, I got a team for you to hook up with, right? Like, I don't know. Where is it that God's got you headed for him and his kingdom? Make sure you step out, sold out, tireless, patient, that he might be glorified. Amen? Hey, that's one way to show Jesus Christ off at the highest levels. Just think it through. And as you come up with some conclusions about where you might want to head, let us know. Talk to us as a pastoral staff. Get to one of us and say, hey, I've got some thoughts. We've got a website, the volunteer page there, where you can sign up and say, hey, I'm thinking about a few of these. I've got some interest. Let me know what I could do. Take advantage of it. Let's get you plugged in and make sure that you're serving him with all of your heart. Okay. So first is... We serve an amazing God. Don't lose sight of him. Second is, as we're not losing sight of him, serve him with all you have. Make sure you go and give your all there. Now, in the midst of giving our all, just so you know, we can end up losing the middle of the thing, the purpose of the thing. And that's the challenge for this church. So the third point, criticism. Do not abandon your first love. It's not just about the task. Do not abandon your first love. It's not just about the task. It is about the task, but it's not just about the task. All right? So we'll start out in verse 4. But, yeah, you got to love when you hear that word, right? When somebody comes to you and they're like, man, you did such an awesome job, and I couldn't believe how you, this was just unbelievable. But, oh, never mind. Right? Isn't that what we do? Like emotionally you go, okay, so now I've been buttered up. 
Now you're going to deliver me up. But what do you have to share? I'm ready to hear it. Okay, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You had abandoned the love that you had at first. You know, for Jesus to say he has something against them, this is a big deal. And we need to let it really speak to us deeply. You abandoned your first love. Ouch. That's a big word. Like he didn't just say, there are times where you're slightly distracted, right? You have abandoned your first love. You have walked away from where you used to be and you've left the first love. And we're going to define that first love a little bit in just a second here. You've abandoned. No longer are you a part of it. Be careful. This is going to cause you to dry up quickly. Now, the first love. I'm going to tell you, there's a bit of controversy over this. Because if you think about it, we just got done talking about how uh, their works seem to be so on. And how can your works be on if your heart's so off? So if this first love is like, if you're not loving Jesus Christ, if that's what that means, you've sort of lost this passion for him, how could that be? That's the one question, okay? So they would then say, well, maybe the first love would be, well, you're not loving your brothers. You're not loving each other, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you what I feel on this, all right? First of all, to put the word first on loving your brothers, I will say the word, yeah, like, no. Like, well, our first love is what? Jesus Christ. Like, that's, I got a real problem with saying your first love is being people. So that one kind of settles wrong with me, all right? Your first love is Jesus Christ, him and him passionately, all right? And then the other thing is if you look in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it says that if you love God, if you're born of God, then you will love your brothers. So we've already talked through this and unwound it. The fix, in fact, for loving one another is making sure you love him first and foremost. This would start to become a horizontal battle cry. And it kind of gave me the willies after 1 John. You know what I'm saying? It sort of becomes easier to grasp when you put it in light of 1 John. And you also have this being the author, John. Right? And so let's think of the consistency of what might be said here. And so this is where I'm at. First, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. All right? And it will spill over to loving one another. It's not that it isn't talking about the effect of it having less love for brothers and sisters. We know that's true. As we lose our love and passion for the Lord, we tend to lose a love and passion for those around us. We just read about that in all throughout First John. I think that's more of what's being said here. The first love is our love for Jesus Christ, and it tends to be waning. Well, what are you saying? What's he really saying then? Okay, here's what I think he's saying. Nice donut, dude. That's what he's saying. So for those of you who've been around for a while, you know what I'm talking about with donuts. So let's go back over it. 
We start with Jesus Christ and Him crucified, this core center of unbelievable passion for Him. Jesus is our everything, right? And then we start wrapping around that, things that make sense, things we're going to go after and be about and do. And and it could be time in the Word and time praying with Him and, and, and time actually going out and sharing with others and time serving in the church and time and time. And we build these things around that make great sense. And they bring awesome glory to Him. And we've built this exterior of things doing and going and being based on that center and then over time we let the center kind of fade or even pull it and you can still be doing and being and going about those exterior things and doing them pretty well and being committed to them and you'd be amazed how really committed you can be to them and yet not have a hunger for him are you hearing it And all of a sudden, the tasks have become high and good purpose, like his glory, but him, eh, you know what I mean? Eh, Not so much. Here and there, I try, but, but man, did I take it out of the park when I, and there's a word for that. We would call that word, well, legalism. We're actually trying to go after the things and the stuff, and we're trying to keep those together now, and it's become so much more important to us as we've gone over time, and actually you've created something where the middle's pulled out, which we would call a donut. Don't create the donuts in your life. Watch out. It's easy to get off on tracks where we're like, I will be about, and our little checklist box begins to create the exterior And we let that passion for him fade. Make sense? That's what we have to watch out for. How do I know if I'm doing that? Well, the easy question is, am I spending time with him or am I spending time just about him? You know, things related to him topically, but it's not me and him. That's how you know. If you're beginning to let that time fade, watch out. It can hurt you. I'd summarize it this way for him. Doctrinal orthodoxy? Check. Uh, tireless commitment? Check. Targeting Christ's glory? I mean, that's really what they meant? Yeah. Check. Passionate time alone with him? Eh. That's what's missing. Man, do we have to be careful. It can become so easy to busy our schedule up that throughout the day and throughout the week, we feel like we are doing so much and so much good that we must just be okay. And yet what we're really doing is we're slowly letting the vitality and the core and the passion and the center and the hunger of time alone with him fade. It really isn't unlike asking a married couple of decades what the difference is between when they were dating and now. And, you know... We used to go out on a date. We went to Subway and we'd hang out and we're staring at each other's eyes and we're hearing from each other and we're listening to each other and we're holding each other's hands and you got the oil all over your hands. You're like, who cares, man? And you're holding each other's hands and, and it's just time alone. And then we go outside and we lay down in the grass. Do you remember this? And we look up at the stars. <laughs> this was like 18 years ago. And lay down and we look up at the stars and we're just talking as the breeze is blowing in the fall and time at Subway. And then there was yesterday at Subway when we stopped on the way back home 
and uh, we're just on the fly. I mean, we were coming back from a concert, and so we just stopped in, and we got something to eat, and we sit down at the table, and we got the kids with us, and we found out after the fact, three of us ordered the same sandwich. I mean, that's how much we weren't paying attention. Do you know what I'm talking about? The people are ordering and whatever, and you're getting your stuff, and you sit down, and you're like, oh, I got the same thing. Really close. You know? The, the plan there was get food in gut. You know what I mean? Like, a little different. A little different. Be careful. Nurture the relationship along the way. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it always has to be deep, sappy, whatever. Okay? But do nurture your time. Hear from him. Passionately want to hear from him. And want, he wants to hear from you. Share where you're at. It's an amazing privilege for you to get back to that first love. So how do I get back to that first love, Tim? What are the steps? Well, luckily, he gives us steps right here. Three steps, all right? Three R's. So remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and then do the works you did at first. Repeat the same works you used to do. So remember, repent, and repeat. If we want to restore ourselves to a relationship with him, right? Just remember, repent, and repeat. This is under the criticism How do we recover? Okay, so remember, like think back like I just did and describe a little bit of that to yourself first and foremost. What was it like? What was going on? What did I experience? What was I appreciating so much in Christ? And and where's that now? Remember, talk to him, spend time with him, repeat or repent, turn away from the things that are wrong. I'm telling you, you can be involved in activities that are going to kill your passion for Christ. Watch out. Repent of the attitudes. Repent of the actions. Whatever needs to be let go of. We talk about spiritual breathing, right? Just confess the stuff you need to let go of and get it out of your life and be embracing and engaging who he is as you breathe in and thank him for who he is. Stunned by his awesomeness and you're just spending time with him. In that spiritual breathing, I'm telling you, that's a great way to build that relationship. Repent. Lord, what do I need to let go of? Please forgive me for that attitude last night. Please forgive me for those words I said to such and such. I can't believe I capped off like that. Please forgive me. I'm going to them right now to say I'm sorry. Please, Lord, help me get back with you. May you center me up. And then repeat. Go back to those original things, that hunger you first had when you came to Christ. Now, for those who haven't come to Christ, you're like, I don't even know what that means. This isn't for you, these three steps. There's a different step. It's just stop and hand your life over to him. Lord, I'm trusting you. Please forgive me and use your shed blood to replace what I owe. I'm done trying to earn it on my own. You are my king now. You're my Lord. I hear you. Use your shed blood to replace my payment and establish a walk with him where you listen to him, take you to new levels. But if you have done that, then the three steps, remember, repent, and repeat. What's repeat look like? You know, I think it looks like this. Time. Time in the word. Just walking through, trying to understand what he has to say. Time. Time in prayer. Just sharing what your thoughts are and where you're at. Praising him, adoring him, thanking him, requesting of him. Time, time worshiping him. Just 
lifting his name up, finding a good song and cranking that bad boy up and worshiping him and letting him have the glory in your body, in your mind, on your lips at that time and giving him some time. Let him be your adoration and your distraction from this world rather than the world being your distraction from him. That's what it looks like. Go after him and let him rock you. Another R word. Remember, repent, and repeat. Notice he has a little bit of a challenge for him. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Like I want you to understand something. I call you my church, my collected ones who are here to celebrate and glorify me. Now let's start doing that. I'm telling you, I am not going to show up and empower if that's not what you're doing. I no longer walk amongst. I'm not looking at you as my called out collected ones. Did you know that? Hey, we're gathering together to be his church. This is no game. This isn't some little personal experience and I get to check the box and say that was really cool when I went home. This is, Lord, may you be glorified and we better get it right. Or he stops saying, that's the place I'm bringing it. Do you hear it? We really do have a responsibility to say, Lord, what needs to change in me? And Lord, what do you want done? And Lord, here's my prayer, that until he returns, this place stands solid for him. That's my prayer. And and his prayer for them was, I want you to remain solid for me. And I'm telling you, if you don't get this right, you won't. Church at Ephesus by 5th century was fading. By the 14th century, the whole place had gone desolate. No people, no church, no power. I'm not sure that I can say I tie it to this exactly. But wow, we better be careful. We better have a first love. And we better be real on it. You know, this past week, um, on Sunday, I had somebody come to me and share with me a story. The Friday before, they had gone in to see Pastor Steve. And as they were talking with him, this person shared where they were at. I mean, it's been a long struggle all through the summer coming into the fall. There's been some things going on in marriage and some things going on in life and just trying to figure it out and sitting here and saying, not sure I totally get that or I'm not sure I'm totally with that. And, and, and on Friday, he walked in and said, all right, I'm done fighting. Like, what do I need to do to just be all in? And as they walked through it, and Steve shared with them, this person accepted Christ. And then afterwards said, now I'm all in. Man, am I all in. And Steve said, I I want you to do one thing. I want you to tell a couple of people. And he gave them a little list of share your testimony kind of thing. So he comes up to me on Sunday. I was one of them Steve asked him to share with. And he takes my hand and he's holding tight. And he pulls me in close and he just said, I want you to understand as tears filled up in his eyes and he goes, man, I'm all in. It's different. Like I get what Christ is doing now. And I am so like I'm there now. I prayed with Steve and I don't even know where it's going next, but I'm ready to follow him. That person, I called him and talked to him last night a little bit, asked for permission to share. And, and uh, we talked a little bit on the phone and he said, man, it's been a different week. Like just a different focus and and I'm still learning things and I've got some stuff to grow in, but wow, it's different when he's your God. That's what we're talking about going back to.
remember and get back to the moment where it's just you and him and everything else can just go away. Like this world's distractions are done. I'm over with that. Lord, I'm listening to you. And hear him as he gives you priorities in life. Hear him as he gives you your walk through so that you can glorify him and spend time with him, time honoring your family, time reaching out. The balance is amazing. When you are really running with him, you're going to have an unbelievable balance to your life. Watch him move as your first love. That's my prayer for you, is that we hunger for him to be that for us. Lord, may it not be about works, but may it be about a heart that leads to works. That's what we're talking about. So first, man, do we serve an amazing God. So worth worshiping in charge of the universe and walking amongst the churches, giving discernment and wisdom and challenge. And commendation, like let's be all about serving him with all we've got. And some of the criticism, don't ever, don't ever let go of that passion that you can have for him. Absolutely run after him with all you have. Your king, your savior, your God, right here with us. That's who we can know. And then the closure. He says, listen to the challenge of the spirit and eat of the tree of life. The closure, listen to the challenge of the spirit and eat of the tree of life. Notice he says in verse six as kind of a launch pad into this. He says, you hate what I hate. Like you're against these Nicolaitans. We don't even know what they did. Apparently it was pretty bad because right after it, it says, which I hate also. Do you know that Jesus hates things? And he's hating something they're about. That means it's stealing his glory. That means it has to do with self in a massive way. I'm not sure what's going on, but it isn't pretty. And he's kind of launch padding back into the positive as he says, keep that up. Keep the loving the right things and hating the right things. Just add me to the list. That's what I need you to do. Want to be with me. Not just wanting truth, but wanting the one who is truth. That's who I am. And he says as his final challenge, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who has an ear. So, how many of us have an ear? Yeah, like, maybe we should just do this. Gonna put your hand on your ear. You ready? Just go ahead and do it. I know you feel kind of weird. It's okay, we're all weird. Put your hand on your ear. All right? The one who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit is saying to the churches. Are you ready to hear? This is what he has to say. The Spirit saying this. Notice he doesn't just say it to one church, singular, but to the churches. He's saying this to all churches, to these seven churches. This is his challenge. He says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Now, if we're not careful, we can take that phrase and it sounds like this. To the one who succeeds in doing great things, I will reward your works with eternal life. Right? It sounds almost like that and you can dangerously fall into that. So let's break it down and make sure we understand it with other scripture as well. To the one, so notice we're not talking about corporate, we're talking about singular. To the one, you and me individually, to the one... Who conquers? Remember, we came right out of 1 John 5. 
in that same passage where we were talking about loving God and seeing a victory and loving others, he talks about overcoming the world. And this conquering starts with first loving the Lord your God. To the one who conquers is not the beginning. That's the end of the fruit. It started with the one who loves the Lord God Almighty. You are guaranteed victory. First John 5, Romans 8. That person who is loving the Lord with all he's got, trusting in him, abiding in him. It says actually in First John 5, 5, your victory is your faith. So let's let that totally encapsulate this. The one who conquers, it's the end result of loving him with a faith for him that is absolutely on fire for him. You will experience a victory in overcoming this world and conquering. And let me tell you something. To those that love the Lord God, we have eternal life. Life in his son. And that's what this passage is saying. Embrace the fact that we can be with him for all of eternity. And it is in the paradise of God. You and me, forever, waking up, maybe there's not even sleep, I don't even know. We're in heaven, and you come to this recognition. You literally are saying this, for the next 24-hour period, wow, I didn't know it could be this good. Next 24-hour period, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't know it could be this unbelievable. Total satisfaction, total God glorification, absolute certainty of where you need to be. Nothing distracting you. No sin pulling you aside forever. That's what heaven is. Get ready because the battle you just had, church at Ephesus, it'll be shocked and you're done And forever, there's an unbelievable perfection between you and me and a relationship that can't be matched anywhere. To God be the glory. Amen? That's what we're talking about. As we look at the church at Ephesus, it's simply this challenge. Know this. We need to toil, work, but with him as our heart and soul center. God, I hear you. I'm worshiping you and I'm working for you. I'm going after you with all I've got. But please, may I meet you personally and passionately and powerfully and never lose sight of that. It's going to take time. Time this week to set aside where you hear from him. Hear from him in his word. Hear from him in prayer. Just spend some time. And I'm serious. When you start out, just say this. Just spending a little time with you, Lord. Want it to be clear that, wow, you're amazing. Like a real sincere, honest starting point like that gets it going the right direction. Not some, well, I'm here to pray, Father. And all of a sudden we sit, like, why do we need to talk in a deeper voice and with bigger vocabulary when we talk to God? Have you noticed that? Just make it real and spend time with him and be blown away by him. Your God can be your first love. That's where we need to go. Let's pray.